Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast. Part of my mission in ensuring your pregnancy, birth and motherhood journeys are supported, positive and empowering. Are you ready? Let's get chatting. Pelvic organ prolapse, a condition that is more common in women, especially postpartum women, than many of us realise and something that is often a source of embarrassment, shame or fear for those suffering. So on this episode, I'm really keen to shine a light on pelvic organ prolapse, help anyone listening who has been affected know they are not alone and that there is so much that can be done to support you. Now, I'm so excited to welcome a woman doing such incredible work to raise the lid on pelvic organ prolapse and to generally ditch the taboo surrounding pelvic health dysfunction post-birth. Helen Ledwick is a broadcast journalist who has a pelvic organ prolapse herself and has bravely turned her talents to talk about vaginas on her own podcast, very cleverly named Why Mums Don't Jump. Welcome, Helen. And first of all, I love that name. It's absolutely genius. <laughs> it just came. It was just kind of perfect, wasn't it? It says, it says everything, really. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? And because, Helen, I'm sure this is something that's been a frustration of yours, but what we see kind of on the media is it's almost probably because we're embarrassed about it, but we kind of giggle or kind of, you know, make it normal that actually once you've had a baby, when you jump on a trampoline, you probably are going to leak and, and that's okay, but it's just not okay, is it? It's not okay. And yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's, um, so my prolapse happened after my second child was born. So even right through after having the first baby, I probably still thought about it on that level of a, like a little, oh, you're going to get a little leak. It's going to be funny. You're going to be with your friends laughing about it. Then you're going to do a few pelvic floor exercises and it's all going to go away and you're going to be back to exactly how you were before. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it kind of trivializes it, but, um, I mean, you've got to laugh, don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got to laugh or you would cry, right? And if that's the way that people can communicate this stuff, then brilliant. But um, but yeah, it's kind of a bit more than that. <laughs> so much more. And I suppose humor's great in a way because it is an outlet, isn't it? Or it's a way of yeah. opening up the conversation. But, but also it can be really damaging because we then feel like 
perhaps if we talk about it, people are going to laugh at us or just think, yeah. oh, for goodness sake, you've had a baby. Of course, that's what happens. And and that's, I think, where the work that you're doing is so powerful to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's common, but it's not normal. Like that's where we need to change the, the conversation, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important. Um, I mean, because I was even thinking about coming on your podcast and you hear this, um, that, you know, there's a bit of a discussion about, you know, should what, you know, how much should we be telling pregnant women? Because I know a lot of pregnant women will listen to your podcast. Mm. How much should we be telling them about what can happen after? But that message, I think, is the really important thing, because if you know about what could happen, then you know that it's not normal and that you can do things about it and you can ask for help. Um, I got a message just last night from someone who um, had a prolapse after birth and knew about it within weeks. But, you know, because everything's so strange and your body's so different after you've had a baby that she didn't know that that wasn't normal. And she lived with it for eight months. You know, she really kind of suffered alone for all that time. So I'm always an advocate for just, you know, let's talk about it. We can laugh about it, but let's just let's just make it a conversation that we can have. Oh, 100%. What you just said there, Helen, resonates with me because, and this is something I will giggle about now, but at the time I was I was in tears. I was like so, so, so worried about it. But anyway, when I was about two weeks postnatal, I've only, I've only had one baby, um, but vaginal birth, and I checked myself. Um, I was checking kind of my stitches and then just felt something and thought, oh my gosh, that feels like a cervical prolapse. I think I've got prolapse. And then I was like, I, I 100% I was embarrassed. I felt really embarrassed. I felt really concerned. Um, I spoke to an obstetrician who is a friend of mine. And I appreciate I'm in a really privileged position that I can just do that. And obviously lots of women would have to go through referrals and services and, and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, she examined me and was like, it's not a prolapse. You have got a poo there. And, <laughs> and you're two weeks postpartum. Things are going to feel a little bit small and different. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So now I laugh about it. At the time, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to run again. I'm not going to be able to have another baby. Like, this is just a disaster. So I totally feel that kind of shame and embarrassment and concern. Um, yeah, I was just a bit constipated. <laughs> <laughs> But but the, I I really I really empathise with women for that reason because I I really felt that um yeah. in in that that moment before before I then giggled about it now and I just wonder if we we take it back and I love how openly you've shared your journey through your podcast and social media but when did you identify that you had a prolapse what were your kind of initial thoughts and feelings were you as embarrassed as I was I it, initially it was just complete shock I think because. Um, so I'd had, so I had my, my daughter and that was a, a C-section for breech birth. Right. And then two years later I had my son mm-hmm. and I was determined to have this vaginal birth. Cause I just thought that was, you know, the ultimate goal. So I did, uh, and it didn't go brilliantly well. And I ended up with, um, a third degree tear. So I was a bit of a mess. And a couple of weeks later, um, I remember, I remember it really well because I was at home, uh, he had a tongue tie so we were struggling with feeding it was just like I think he had jaundice around that time as well it was just like just all those hard barriers all those things that are going on anyway and uh you know no, nothing felt right I was a bit of a mess um and then on this one particular day I did I did two things and I, and I don't know if either of these things contributed to the prolapse happening or whether it would have happened anyway but I remember that I lifted my toddler from like a seated position onto the onto the couch and I felt a bit of a twinge and then I went to the loo 
to have a poo and I strained which I know you're not supposed to do but I was kind of like rushing back because the baby's yeah, crying yeah. you were doing normal mum stuff all like when you've got a toddler you it's the way it is yeah uh and then yeah just I stood up and I was just like felt a bulge uh in my vagina um and it felt like a a tampon when it's not in properly it was sort of coming mm. coming out and it it definitely wasn't there before I was really confused about what that could be and knew that something was wrong um, so I remember kind of passing the baby to my husband and just taking myself off upstairs and sitting down on the bedroom floor and uh, taking like a makeup mirror mm. and having a look. And uh, I hadn't wanted to look before then because I knew everything was going to be a mess. And like, honestly, I, I don't actually think that I've ever really looked at my own vulva until that point. So I knew that it something wasn't right but I didn't honestly I didn't really know what it was supposed to look like so mm. how I mean spot uh, the first problem right we need to get more more okay with our own anatomy it's part of our body right exactly so then I'm kind of left there with my phone in one hand thinking well you know mirroring the other thinking do I call an ambulance at this point because something is is obviously not right and I'm googling any words that come to mind that describe this sort of blockage that I can see. Um, so it's all a bit grim, isn't it? But, um, uh, and then yeah, like just slowly, it just, it just, I just found this word prolapse. And honestly, like I hadn't even heard the word used in that context before. I had no idea what that was. Um, and that still amazes me to this day because how can you have like two babies and have never have heard of this thing which is actually as you said so common and mm. um, so I was really genuinely very shocked and I did nearly call an ambulance um but luckily at that time I was actually still under the care of the midwife team so instead of calling an ambulance I texted her and we sort of went through the process and I ended up getting in touch with um the GP instead but obviously as soon as anything like this happens and you realize what you think or what you think it is dr google comes into oh, play yeah, let's start googling <laughs> yeah i'm just like prolapse is the end of my world like i can't i'll never run again i'll never jump again i'm not allowed to lift my kids i'm thinking um it's only gonna get worse i'm probably gonna and you know I'll, I'll, I'll have incontinence next and over the years this is gonna get worse like this is this is just game over um and all of that information that you, that you that you read immediately because of course you do it was just um I, I was just I was kind of, yeah I was, I was devastated and yeah like the embarrassment that's just a constant thing that you then live with over the the weeks and months going forward so just I mean you can talk about a lot of things as a new mum but um that's that's going some even to do that at the playgroup isn't it but um but yeah it was it was horrible it was horrible and I I feel and, I, and the thing is that I know now that my experience uh, was far from unique that like the same emotions that everybody goes through experiencing the same thing at the same time and I just think if I had known about it in advance maybe I wouldn't have felt like that and for so long as well so interesting, isn't it, Helen? Just listening to, to to how we both explained those experiences we had post birth, that we're both educated women. I'm assuming mm -hmm. you probably obviously know quite a lot about birth as a midwife, and I'm assuming you probably did a lot of research to to achieve that feedback, like the pros and cons, how you could support mm -hmm. your body, and and things like that. Yet you didn't recognise that it was a prolapse. You didn't know, hadn't heard of that before. Mm -hmm. I thought constipation felt like a prolapse. 
neither of us could recognize it. And yet we are educated women that have done research into our bodies and labor and birth. Like this is such an issue, isn't it? So someone that isn't, isn't, hasn't done that research has got no hope and hell's chance of, of recognizing it and seeking early treatment. And then you end up with all those complications later on down the line. And I just think we're doing ourselves such a disservice by keeping this buried and, and hidden, aren't we? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, yeah, like I thought I'd done some research, you know, but, but I don't think this information is available. We hide it yeah. from women, you know, so you can do all the research you like, but certainly I'm going back seven years now. I think it's a little bit better now, but um, I mean, I remember being in hospital, having had my son and gone straight into surgery for two hours, getting, getting stitched up, getting repaired. And I remember lying there thinking, yep, did it properly this time? Yep, came out of the right orifice, third, like a third degree tear. I've, I had no idea what that was because I just heard, oh, you might have a little tear when you have a baby. So I just thought that that's what that was. And I think the problem with that then is because you don't realize the severity of what can happen in the weeks that follow, maybe you don't look after yourself. Maybe you don't prioritize yourself the extent that you need to and maybe that actually contributes to some of the issues that that you develop later on it's hard to know like as I say you you know you know maybe these things are going to happen they're going to happen anyway but um but yeah I think it's it's important that we give women more information about how to care for themselves in that postpartum period because you are really vulnerable um I just think it's really important Oh, Helen, the postnatal period is so neglected, isn't it? It's just like mm-hmm. this big Cinderella, I think. It's this, it's awful. And I kind of knew it was neglected. I don't work in postnatal care as a midwife. I work in labour and birth. So I kind of knew it was neglected. But it wasn't until I had a baby myself that I was like, geez, is this, is this actually it? Thankfully, yeah. I was fine and my partner supportive. But I thought mm-hmm. if I wasn't fine, I don't know what on earth I would have done because there's there's just nothing. You're just dumped, aren't you? Like yeah. you've had a baby, you've grown a whole new human, you've gone through massive physical and psychological trauma. Like your whole body, all your organs have shifted. You're now trying to navigate breastfeeding and you're bleeding and you've got sore nipples and you're in pain and there's no one around you because we live in a very different society to how we were a few generations ago. Off you go, you're all right, you've had a baby. It's just yeah. so wrong. Oh my gosh, it's such, I don't know, I don't know how we, I don't know how we improve it because obviously you hear this saying all the time, don't you? It takes a village to raise a child. I mean, I'm still waiting for my village to turn up, Helen. I don't, I don't know about you <laughs> seven years down the line, but we live in a world now where, you know, we're still running the house, women are returning to work quite quickly. You know, partners have short paternity leave. It's not like before when your job was to rest and feed the baby and like the whole world like came into you to do everything else. Um, and I, but I feel like we we haven't adjust we haven't adjusted to that, have we? We we have these expectations, and our bodies are like, whoa, hang on, I've gone through this massive thing. I need you to take care of me and prioritize me as well. <laughs> A quick pause to highlight the importance of our pelvic floor health in pregnancy. I know your pelvic floor exercises feel like another thing on the to-do list, but did you know they actually take less than three minutes and a great time to do them is when you brush your teeth each day. For more expert information, sign up to aptoclub.co.uk. Yeah, and I think we expect it of ourselves as well, don't we? We, we know that that is the kind of the vision that you get is that the baby arrives and then you become this super mom and uh, and all your priority for your own self care, of course, goes out of the window because you're trying to keep this tiny little thing alive and all the focus is on the baby, yours and everybody else's, and it's just 
yeah, I mean, trying to just change perceptions of how we view the mum in those early weeks, like it's going to be like turning a tanker, isn't it? Um, and 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 for everyone, it will be different. So we talk about self care for mums, like we well, go around and hold the baby so the mum can go off and uh, I don't know, have a manicure or whatever the mum might want to do and for some women that'll be amazing but for others like I didn't want to let go of the baby no either. I didn't either no. I was like no but, it's okay I'll manage because I, I if you take the baby away I'm not gonna sleep yeah, I'm gonna look at yeah. pictures of him yeah, <laughs> I'd rather yeah. hold him yeah so um but yeah but I think you know just slowly we just need to as a whole recognize that that's okay to to take some time as a mum to adjust and you know please keep an eye out for the other mums around you and help them in other ways whatever way they want to take help. them food take them food take them keep, food. keep giving them food yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's just for me it's just the more you know about that the better prepared you are when it happens the less of a shock it is and the more able you are to to ask for help, because when you don't know that's a thing, you think you're the only person in the world that it's happened to. That's um, a lonely place, isn't it? That's a really lonely place. It's to be so com- it's so isolating. And then when you're on your own with it, you think everyone else is doing fine. So then you sort of start to blame yourself as well. And it's kind of like, well, why didn't I? do more pelvic floor exercises? Why Why did I not make different decisions during the birth? Why didn't I not look after myself afterwards? And yeah, you, you end up in this whole spiral of, of self-blame and, and isolation. And, and that can, you know, that can be really, really hard. And then that's on top of all these um, sort of lifestyle restrictions that, that, that come with these conditions as well. Yeah. Um, which has taken me years to realize it don't have to be the case. And that, and, you know, this is one of the messages that I really try to put across in why mums don't jump. And it's that, you know, you can get back to to doing things again, just because you've got these injuries or these conditions that affect how you live. It doesn't mean that you need to stop Mm. running, jumping, moving, lifting, being a mum. You know, I think some of the advice around that is, is, is out of date and actually harmful now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, really, really harmful. And I think probably adds to that immediate feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is like my whole world's falling apart because I'm not going to be able to do these things that I love. Now, Helen, talk to me because we say, you know, actually, yes, getting back to running, jumping, lifting, being a mum, all that stuff is totally achievable. But we need, we've got like a bit of a journey, haven't we, I guess, between A, finding the prolapse and B, getting you to where you physically want to be able to be. What kind of treatment pathway have you explored? What's been kind of your experience and how easy has that been to access? Um, it's just, it's all over the place, isn't it? And, and I think, and to be fair, I think it's different for every woman as well. Everyone will experience that in a different way. Mm. Um, and and I guess it's also important to say that, you know, there is a real range of issues that people have and that's on a massive spectrum. And some people 
um, you know, maybe maybe they won't ever get back to, to some of the sort of higher impact things that they've, they've done in the past. Um, but yeah, so for me, uh, I mean, just for years, because of the advice that I was getting and everything that I was reading on online, you know, it's not just don't run, don't jump, don't lift heavy. It kind of becomes like, don't stand for too long. Don't sit for too long. You, you, you're not breathing in the right way. And it's, 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 it's just everything. So then you're like, well, what does that actually mean? Can I lift my baby? Can I, I need to lift the car seat. I need to push the buggy. I need to, uh, you know, I need to go to work and I need to maybe lift heavy equipment at work. And there's just, there's no easy way to know what is okay and what's not. So I did spend a couple of years just feeling um, really fearful of any movement at all. So like I would lift, you know, I would lift the shopping bags and worry that my prolapse was going to get worse or I would, uh, you know, be on the beach with the kids or whatever. And I would not want to run around after them on the beach because I would worry that that would make my prolapse worse, which made me so sad because that's not who I was before. That's not the mum that I imagined that I was going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, that whole aspect of things took me to quite a dark, a dark place. I mean, I'm not, not, that sounds really dramatic, but it, it made me feel down. It really did. Yeah, well, I can imagine 100%, 100%. I think it would be, it would be unnatural or odd if you didn't feel that way because, you know, it's, it's your body and, and you had these visions of running around after your children on the beach. So to feel like your body doesn't allow you to do that, I think it's natural that actually that is going to have a massive effect on your mental health as well. Yeah. You just, I mean, you don't want to have to think twice about, having a kiss kitchen disco, you know, but, that, but that's, that's where I was. Um, so initially after the prolapse happened, I was, uh, uh referred through gynecology. I ended up seeing, um, a physiotherapist, I think um, an NHS physiotherapist. I think I had maybe five sessions, um, partly because of the tear actually. Um, that's kind of how I ended up seeing the physio and, uh, she was helpful. She was like a shoulder to cry on and she helped me to understand how to do a pelvic floor exercise properly because it's not it's not that easy actually to get your head around what you're supposed to be doing um but then after those five sessions which was about a year I, I would say after my son was born um I was discharged um which I think is, is standard practice and to me then I was like all right well that's it then now this is this is how this is going to be forever but I've, I've, I'm, as, I'm as well as I'm ever going to be so I just have to go through this kind of restricted lifestyle and that's fine you know I can just get on with that but it it's wasn't not really fine, fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not totally fine. not fine it's not fine um so it was a couple of years later um when uh do you know what? I think I think the moment things changed a little bit for me right I don't know do you know the Trafford Centre big shopping yeah. centre yeah, yeah, right yeah. so I was in there and there's this fountain in the middle where all the little kids hang out you throw pennies in the fountain and it shoots up these great big jets of water and uh, I ended up in a chance conversation with uh, another mum who lives near me. And she was going, that was it. She was going trampolining uh, with the kid. And we ended up talking about prolapses and she had a prolapse as well. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like a conversation. Okay, trampolining. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. So that was, I was like, well, how is, I was like, well, I can't possibly do that. And then I was like, oh, she's got a prolapse as well. How is this happening? Mm. Um, but just the fact that we were having that conversation, like made me realize that, oh, okay, maybe this is a conversation that I can actually have without 
the world falling around my ears. And maybe, you know, there's more that I can actually do to improve my situation. Um, and she recommended a private physiotherapist to me that she had seen. And so I sort of started on this track of thinking, oh, maybe there's more I can do. So I um, started seeing that physiotherapist. And it's around the same time, I, got, I, I don't know, I decided to start an Instagram account about my prolapse. <laughs> and we are so <laughs> pleased you did, Helen. We're so pleased you did. I love it. I don't know who does that though. I'm like, I'm not the kind of person who finds it easy to talk about anything. Like at the start of the pod, when I started the podcast series, I couldn't even say the word vagina without dying. But um, <laughs> I started the Instagram account. But then it just became so obvious so quickly, like how many other women were going through all these exact feelings of, of shame and grief and self-blame. And I was just like, why are we hiding away and talking about it on the internet? Um, and so I was like, put my name, it was an anonymous account to start with. I put my name on it. Um, and then, yeah, because of my background, so I've been a radio producer for a long time. Um, podcast just seemed to be the right move um, to kind of get that message out to other women, just that you're not alone and, you know, there is hope and, you know, just to try to do something about the taboo and the, and the stigma that's around it. How did you feel, Helen, when you noticed that your Instagram and your podcast was kind of generating this traction? How how did that make you feel? <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, so the the very first episode that I did, I was like, I need to explain my own story, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really shared that with a lot of people. And um, so there's no really- no good place to start other than just sharing it with the world, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't start with your mum or your friend. Just just tell everyone. <laughs> Go big. Well, I was like, well, I was like, I can't sit down in front of a microphone and just. It was so personal. It was so personal. It was you know so intimate. It was so difficult. So I ended up ringing my best friend. I was like, I need to do this with you. We need to sit uh, down, and nice. you need to ask me. And that's how that's how I can do this. So we did that. Um, and uh, and so I recorded that in like I think it's like the November or something. And I didn't actually start putting the podcast out until maybe I'm gonna say March or something like that. Uh, and so I, I kind of had this recording knowing that I was probably going to do this thing, but I hadn't quite done it yet. And then I remember the morning that I decided, you know, this was it. I was, I was, it was going out. I was going to do it. Oh, I felt so sick. I, I thought I was totally cool with it, but I had to go into work. Um, and so like some people at work kind of knew what was happening and I kind of had told some other people and then, uh, but I just, I remember just walking around with my phone because I was getting a lot of messages from, um, you know, from women who had listened and who had had the same experience and were just like, oh my gosh, thank you for talking about this. You know, you, you are speaking the words that I've been feeling on my own and now I'm going to make my partner listen to them as well. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I did, I felt really sick and I felt really embarrassed and I thought, and I did worry that once I had gone there, there's kind of no coming back which is true, but not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but also that that I would just become like the vagina woman. I just like reduced myself to only talking about this one thing. And as I say, like, I'm not, this is not in my nature to be cool with that. I'm not, I'm not, well, I am now. Well, I'm better now, but <laughs> it's, oh, um, yeah, it was hard actually. So actually you, you really did take yourself, Sam's very far away from your comfort zone. Um, so far. <laughs> so far. But honestly, Helen, thank goodness you did, because, 
you know, there's millions of other women that also are feeling very out of their comfort zone talking about yeah. things like that, especially in the postpartum when you feel so vulnerable anyway about your body. It's even harder to then discuss things like pelvic organ prolapse, I think. So someone like you kind of trailblazing is just so, so powerful. So I know it was obviously immensely difficult for you, but please don't underestimate the, the incredible work that you've done because I know it's helped so many women. So oh, yeah, thank you. just, just thank you. So the, where are we at the moment, Helen, in terms of, have you tried things like pessaries? Obviously you've had, you know, physio input and support to correctly actually perform your pelvic floor exercises, which is something I recommend anybody listening. Actually, let's take pregnancy and birth aside. If you are a female, I think it is imperative we have a pelvic health checkup. In the same way we brush our teeth every day um, and go to the dentist to have a checkup, we need to be doing our pelvic floors and having a pelvic health physio checkup. Um, and it is beyond frustrating that routine appointments aren't available like this on the NHS. But if it's something you can access, if it can, if you are pregnant and it can be a baby shower gift, please, please do go and see a pelvic health physiotherapist and just have a have a baseline checkup as a minimum at some point in pregnancy, first or second trimester is brilliant. And then around six to eight weeks afterwards, and it may be you don't need to see anyone again at all. And that's plenty. But having those checkups, I think are beyond important and actually educating. And it comes back, I think, Helen, to what you were saying about valuing ourselves in the postnatal and our well-being. I feel like that's a really fundamental part of it. But yeah, talk to me about um, what your treatments look like in terms of um, pessaries and, and support measures for your prolapse. Uh, so I guess probably around the time that I decided I was going to do a bit more, find out a bit, you know, go on Instagram, find out a bit more about my problems and see if I could do a bit more to get myself to a better place. Um, I did try uh, a pessary. So I went through the kind of referral route and uh, I don't like, so pessary, I don't know if we need to explain, like uh, a little often silicon device that goes into the vagina. And from a prolapse point of view, it kind of, can hold everything in place and there are different shapes and sizes that do slightly different things uh, and you can also get pessaries for um urinary incontinence which are a slightly different thing as well um so i tried uh, some ring pessaries uh and the first one fell out in the hospital car park because it's really hard to get one the right size that actually works for We're you also individual i suppose aren't we it's like trying to put everyone in the same pair of jeans it's just not gonna work exactly exactly so um yeah it was a bit of trial and error to find one that fit and then in the end i don't actually think that was the right one and i wore it for quite a long time you can't feel it once it's in uh, and some of you just leave in for a period of time and some of you take it in and out every day. Um, uh, and so I ended up, uh, I took that, I took that one out eventually. Uh, so kind of the pessaries went on pause and then just from my own, um, rehab perspective. So I was seeing, uh, another physio and, uh, again, privately. And I was like, I'm just going to see where I can get my body too. I feel like there's more that I can do, but I'm still terrified. But maybe if I take things really stage by stage. So I did um so this will be, I mean, I guess uh, my son was probably about three or four by this time. But I started doing um a postnatal exercise program called Holistic Core Restore. There are other kind of things, some of them are online and some are kind of run by 
practitioners and they just really start from the absolute basics and i and i did the one that you might do if you've had a hysterectomy so like really really small baby steps starting with pelvic floor exercises building up to more sort of um squats and lunges and breath work and all that kind of stuff so started doing that and then um i um started doing some pilates with um a woman who had some postnatal experience and she was great because she pushed me you know harder than I would have pushed myself and she but she had me you know I felt safe mm, gave that confidence yeah I was like oh I'm not sure about this you're like just try it you'll be fine and it's just that kind of reassurance to know that if you if you did overdo it a bit that's not the end of the world like my, like my insides aren't going to completely fall out because that's how you feel um and after and then I uh, was able to start couch to 5k right because because one of the things that really got me was I really wanted to run and I I've never been a big runner so I don't know where exactly where this came from um but just seeing women in particular jogging past I just I used to really resent it I used to it made me feel so sad that that was just another thing that I would never do um so I was able to start on couch to 5k and I've got back to running and then I've been kind of running around the park a couple of times a week um, for months and months and months until ironically, really recently when life has just got really crazy and uh, that's kind of gone out of the window, but I love it so much. I will get back to it and I can do it now just with confidence and just in the knowledge that things, you know, it's not going to make things worse. It hasn't certainly for me, if anything, it's made me feel better in all kinds of ways, because obviously if we stop exercising, you're going to, you're going to feel rubbish anyway. Um, and then, uh, and then more recently, I've um, I've been fitted for another pessary. So I've been trying out different cube pessaries, um, which uh, again, you know, a, a different device that that goes in the vagina and holds everything up. But again, kind of finding the right size. And uh, also, they don't work if your pelvic floor isn't strong enough. So if you haven't got good muscle tone. They also don't stay in. Um, so it's a, it's still a journey. I'm, I, I'm still, I haven't got all the answers. This is what I always say to everyone, you know, I, have, I really have not got this all figured out. Um, but I just know that as soon as I started talking about it and opening up about it and, uh, you know, started meeting other women with the same sorts of problems, I felt so much better. And once I was felt able to start exercising and moving again, like just like, just it just felt like, I was at the top of the mountain now and I, you know, I can just, I can, I can, it's all downhill from now because all the worry and the frustration and the shame and the embarrassment of not being able to do those things and blaming myself for it and feeling so broken, just being able to share it and to make progress, all of that just goes away. I love that. And I think actually Helen, hearing those different things that you've, you know, tried very much trial and error, give it a go and working with things like treatment, like passeries, in conjunction with a physio and power for exercise, I think is a really important message to anyone listening who is suffering with prolapse is there is trial and error. If one thing doesn't work, that's not it. It's out the window and that's how you've got to live. There's loads of other things. So please don't give up until you really have found the solution that's that's right for you. I think that's, that's a really helpful message of hope, I suppose, to anyone listening who's going through that. 
at the moment. So thank you for sharing that. And I know it's very personal and, and as we now know, out of your comfort zone as well. <laughs> um, now, Helen, everyone that comes on the podcast, I always ask for three top tips. Um, and I feel like I can probably guess what one of yours will be. But could you please share with me your three top tips to any woman who has been diagnosed with or is suspicious that they're suffering with a postpartum prolapse? Uh, okay, in no particular order then. Uh, I would definitely say do everything you can to try to see uh, a pelvic health physiotherapist. You can you can go through your GP, you can get a referral. Um, there are really long waiting times in a lot of areas, unfortunately. So, you know, if you're able to pay, then maybe that is an option. But just go and like you say, have an assessment and find out what your situation is because there's a real spectrum of, of problems and it might be that yours is, you know, resolved really easily. And if it's not, then there'd be a really good first port of call to, to help you out. Um, the second one, I would say just a really important message of this is not your fault. Like you did not do this to yourself. Um, this is an injury or a condition that has, has happened to you. And, you know, let's think about it like we would think about any other injury, uh, you know, a torn ligament or whatever it is, and try to think about rehabilitating it in, in that sense. And then thirdly, like the, the last one that I think is most important for everyone is just to tell someone, like don't deal with it on your own because you will feel like the only mum in the world that is dealing with this problem. But I guarantee you there are loads of people around you who are going through similar problems. And I know from experience that as soon as you're able to share that with other people, uh, that's gonna, you're going to feel so much better and it's going to help you get the support that you need to um, to feel better. Oh, Helen, thank you so much. You're an absolute star. And yeah, the, the biggest thanks for sharing your journey in the way you have. For anyone listening who wants to hear more about Helen's story, please check out her awesome podcast and Instagram page, which is all linked in the episode description for you. Because as it turns out, women can jump. <laughs> and they should be jumping if that's what <laughs> they want to do. Um, and you can absolutely get there. So thank you so much, Helen. You're an absolute star. It's been wonderful to chat to you. Thank you for having me. Lovely to talk to you too. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'd be hugely grateful if you could take a moment to leave a quick review. It honestly means the world to me to hear from you as a listener. And of course, to ensure you don't miss upcoming episodes, hit subscribe too. Remember, I'm here to support you through pregnancy, birth and beyond through my range of pregnancy, birth prep and postpartum courses at midwifepip.com. I hope to get to know you better and to help you on your empowering journey soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.